Um, I'm glad you're here this morning. We're in the middle of, um, literally in the middle of a 10-week series on the book of Ephesians called The Plan. And we're going through this book um, and, and also have small groups, adult small groups that are coming alongside, you know, kind of the whole sermon series in this 10-week piece and discussing kind of a key aspect of, of what this passage is about and how to apply it into our lives. And so we're, um, we're on week five this week, and it's the last uh, sermon on chapter one. So when we were originally looking at this, at this, uh, doing the study, you know, the further we got into it, the more it's like, man, we might not make it out of chapter one in the whole 10 weeks, you know, and I really think you could, there's so much in chapter one of Ephesians. I really think you could easily spend, you know, the, ten, the full 10 weeks on, on this one chapter. I feel like we're just kind of blowing over and breezing through, even going through one chapter in five weeks. So you know, there's a lot of meat in this chapter um, of Ephesians. And then next week, we're going to start and, and finally transition into chapter two. Um, but what I get to talk to you about this morning, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me, I'm going to read um, verse chapter one, verse 15 through 22. We're going to finish out the rest of the chapter. Now, Steve preached the last couple of weeks on verse 15, and that's where we're going to pick up. Paul is just is, is, is speaking here, and he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a mouthful of what is what we see and what is taking place in, in this reality of this text that we're diving into. And so Paul is praying a prayer, and he's not praying a prayer for himself. He's praying a prayer for, for this group of people that he's just commended uh, as having faith in Jesus Christ and their love for all the saints. And he's saying, I've not stopped praying for you. And this prayer that he's praying is that you they receive wisdom and, and eyesight and eyesight of specifically two things. And that's what we're going to unpack this morning. The first thing is an inheritance. The first thing that he prays that we that we receive, that the Ephesians receive, that Christians receive is 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 the eyesight of an inheritance. And the second thing is is power. And so we're actually going to look at these in reverse order this morning. We're going to start at the end of this, these verses and move forward. So we're going to start in verse, verse 22 and then kind of work our way backwards and see the, the, hopefully see in new light something different than you may have seen just in my reading it or just having read it yourself. So as we look at verse, verse 22, this power, this, we, we see it referenced in, in verse 19, this transition when, when part two starts, right? This incomparably great power. And then as we pick up in verse 22, and God placed all things under his feet. Now, let me let me ask you real quick. You've got a kind of dialogue with me here. Um, when he says God placed all things, what does he mean by all things? Like what? What is left out of that list? 
Now, I want you to think about the things in your life, because this is where we can easily read over Scripture and and comprehend what the words say, but not understand what this means for our life. Because when he says all things, I want you to stop and think of something that maybe you felt like or thought about or or not been living as though this was under the power of God. All things, every little nook and cranny, every little aspect, every second, every breath of your life. Right. Would fit under the all things. Every circumstance that you go through is what? That all things uh, are appointed to him, the head over 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 how much over everything for who? Look at this text. All things are under his power. Everything is under his head for who? For the church. That's you and me for for the church, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, the fullness of him. So the church, his body, that is you and me. And have you ever imagined? I mean, we use this and Paul uses this language repetitively in in the New Testament, in his letters, that, that the church as a body. But do you recognize that you and I, we make up the body of Jesus Christ represented here on this earth? Like we have icons, we have the cross to, to lead us and we have communion to to lead us in remembrance of of the price that was paid and the resurrection that took place. But the resemblance of Jesus Christ on the earth here and now are not specifically these icons as you and I might turn to them. They are the reality of his body. You and I, the church, representing Jesus Christ in the world today. That is his plan. That all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus Christ. Everything under under his name, under his authority. And he is bringing everything, all this power, this incomparably great power that has been given to him is now available and for us. Now, now, if you're like me, a lot of uh, my growing up was an independent kind of Christianity. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and that's, you know, as long as me and Jesus are good, we're good. Right. And as I've come to, to, to try to grow and mature in the body, the more I study scripture, the more I see that there's not a lot about the scriptures that are talking about me. But there is everything that we see in the New Testament that is talking about us. And I don't know what it is about our little Western independent nature, but we tend to make it about me and not about us corporately, not about us communally. You see, there is an us perspective. There's this us reality of the text that we're looking at that that Paul is not speaking to an individual where he's calling out Steve's name and he's or he's calling out a, a name like like Timothy. You know, is he speaking to him as a son? He's 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 speaking to us as a body. He's speaking to the group of Ephesians. But that this letter was written to be passed out among the church. And so it is still a relevant letter and, and, a, and a letter that is for our lives, exalting the name of Jesus Christ to be authority over everything. But there is an us part of this reality. And so as we take a deeper look into into power this morning, we have to understand this corporate nature. There's this fullness of him that we embody and he desires to fill everything in every way in the world that we live in, that where we're praying, you know, your your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that that you're having your way. Your power is on display 
here on this earth through us, through your church, through your body, the actual representation of you empowered by the spirit that you give us to be your representatives here on the world, in the world, watching you bringing everything under your head. This is God's plan. And where we continue to live our individual Christian lives and don't seek to have a corporate reality to our expression or a corporate reality to our involvement, our participation and our priorities of being the body, then I think we're missing being the full body of the empowered church. So what is power? You know, we're going to look real quickly in uh, as in Luke, as, as Jesus, the, the, the setting in, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is, you're all familiar with the story, Jesus is, is in a home, and, and he's teaching, and the, the home is so full, it's so packed, there's nobody, no, no room for any, anybody else. The, the, there's, there's a crowd outside the, the, the building, the, the, the little house, looking in the windows and the doorways, and, and just, there were just people everywhere. And then there were these friends who came up and and suddenly dust started falling on Jesus as he's standing there teaching and the roof began to open up and sunlight started coming in. And you're familiar with this story. Four friends lower their friend on a mat who is crippled because Jesus is healing people. Now, I want you to I want to give you a little context to uh, for this is that, you know, I back in April, I was playing in a flag football game with uh, with the vintage 242 football team. And I went to take off, you know. On a snap, it was the last play of the first half, and I just went to kind of take off to run, and all of a sudden I fell down. I heard this loud pat, and this loud, this loud pop, and um, and fell on the ground. I was like, "Who in the world just came and hit me with a board, you know, on my leg here, right, right here, trying to stop this this touchdown from happening?" And I reached up, and I could feel there there, there was no Achilles, you know, in my left leg, like it had snapped. I blew, I ruptured my Achilles. It didn't feel real good. And I, re- I thought about in this recovery process, like, I'm so grateful to be living in the days where we have modern technology and surgeries that, you know, doctors came in, I've got a scar on my leg, they go in, they pull this Achilles back together and sew it back together, and here I am, you know, some five, six months later, and I'm walking and could go jog today. You know, I can't go sprint yet, but I could go jog today. Now, in Jesus' day, that wasn't the case. Surgery hadn't been invented Okay, so imagine everybody that, you know, who's had an injury, a broken arm, a broken leg. Fell and broke something or ruptured something. And that not ever healing. I mean, I would be relatively lame the rest of my life, dragging my left leg along. And this is what it was like in Jesus day. So when the crowds, when the population in the area Heard there was a man who was healing things that had, and, and, and people were able to recover over illness, and, and lame people were walking, and blind people could see, and deaf people could hear, and, and lepers were being healed. I mean, think about the number of people that we're talking about. I mean, a significant percentage, not a majority, but a significant percentage of the population had full attention. Like if I was dragging my left leg along for 20 years of my life and suddenly there's this man coming along preaching about the kingdom of God and healing people, I would be in the crowd listening in attendance. And gratefully, this is what we see happening in 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 Luke chapter five. This man gets lowered before Jesus and Jesus. This is where we pick up the the passage I'm going to read. Luke chapter five, verse twenty one. 
the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can give, who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, Jesus just looked at this man and he said, he said, you know, stand up and walk. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he said, why are you thinking these, these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. And immediately the man stood up in front of them, took what he had, had been lying on and went home praising God. Now, which is easier to do? Jesus asks to heal this man and allow him a crippled man to be able to walk or to forgive his sins. And I think that we have to look at and recognize what Jesus is asking of the Pharisees and us as we look at this text to say, how do we understand power in the kingdom of God? Because Jesus is making a very definitive statement here. Power in the kingdom of God is not about the manifestation of the power. It is about dominion. That it is about dominion. And what dominion is, is lordship. That it is about the lordship of of the kingdom of God, lordship of the father in heaven, lordship that has been given to Jesus Christ, the one and only son. And with it comes this power, with it comes this authority, with it comes this ability for the manifestation of God's power to be on display, to declare his authority and his reign here on this earth. So the miracles, the signs and wonders that we look at when we think of power in the kingdom of God, we, we typically think of signs and wonders. We think of healings. And miraculous things happening. We think of, of Peter walking on the water. We think of, of this guy being able to stand up and walk and go home praising God. You see, but Jesus is making a declarative statement. He's saying that the kingdom of God, the authority of God, the, the rulership of God, God is king and he has given me authority. And so that you see that authority and dominion is available here in this world, then let me demonstrate it. Stand, take up your mat and, and walk. It's not about the sign and wonder. It's about the lordship of God the Father in the world that we have. And Jesus came for this to be a reality for you and for me. So when we look at power and understand power in the New Testament, we can't just think signs and wonders and hope for and wish for signs and wonders. Because which is more powerful to be able to tell this man, take up your mat and walk and for him to be healed and be able to stand up and suddenly walk for the first time in his life? Or is it more powerful for his life to be transformed and for him to take up his mat and go home praising God in a way that he had never done before? Potentially. Which is more powerful, the miraculous sign or the transformed life? You see, as we look at power in the New Testament, it should get our hopes up that we're excited that the power of God, that the power of the gospel is available in our lives and and given to us the body to see the kingdom of God come here on earth. And that means transformed lives. Paul says in the end of Galatians chapter chapter six, uh, verse Verse 15, he says, neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. What counts is a transformed life. And where there's not a transformed life, being able to say, take up your mat and go is just a, well, that's a good thing. 
But we've got to have this flip take place in our minds that transformation in a heart, transformation in healing in a person's soul, change in life, change in a person's character is the power of the gospel. Now, demonstration comes with that. I want to see signs and wonders just like everybody else. But let the sign and wonder first. Let our hope be that life is transformed. Because what is more important? That which could be transformed and he can stand up and walk. And when he dies, that happened for a season. But his sins are now forgiven. That that is something that's going to last for eternity. So which is which is greater? Which is a greater power, that which can transform for the moment and can be enjoyed for the moment and then it's over or that which can be transformed and be enjoyed for eternity. That's why our heart, our focus and our intention has to be on recognizing and desiring for the gospel to change, transform our lives, not just heal our ailments. It's a powerful thing that Jesus is speaking of in this in this passage. Everything is available to us. And and so as we look at at God's power, we have to see that there is this reality that he wants to be on display. Yes, but it's not just about signs and wonders. You see, the power of the gospel is in the resurrection. And in John chapter 11, Jesus is tells these these friends to roll back the stone and he calls out Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus rose from the dead and came out again. There is a display of power to make a statement that the kingdom of God has come and it is about transformation. Yes, signs and wonders are available. We're going to get more into what this power means in our lives when we dive in next week to Ephesians chapter two. But as we as we progress and move forward, we have to be able to we got we we now get to look at inheritance. And I've got to tell you, when I really started looking at this text um, back in May, um, I told Steve he was originally scheduled to preach today. I said, I, I, I need I, I, can I can I speak on the eighth? Can I cover this message? Because this word inheritance is is just is just it's just it's ruining me. It's working on me. Hardly a day has gone by since May that I have not thought about this passage in this sermon. Now, when we look at this. When we look at this, this reality of, of inheritance, we have to be able to stop and, and say, what is the inheritance as we see, um, we see Paul men- mentioning? And, and as, we, as we transition from power to inheritance, let me ask you, who gave Jesus this power and authority on the earth? Father. So even the father is passing on an inheritance is empowering his son with something that he is giving him as a gift. And that's essentially what you and I typically think of when we think of inheritance. You know, if you're a grandparent or a parent, you probably thought about being able to save or store up to one day be able to pass along something to your children. That's wise, biblically, that you're intending to do so. So you may think of inheritance if you have an, an, you know, a, a parent or a grandparent who's getting elderly. Like, I wonder what that's going to mean for me one day. I wonder what that's going to be for, for who, the, who they're going to leave this to. Right. And so as we think about inheritance, we have to think about and recognize, you know, what we see as value. Because when we're planning for an inheritance, we're taking the things that we, we have as value and we're passing them along to those that we love and want to bless. Right. So what is valuable to you? 
Let me give you a second to think about it. What is it that is valuable to you that you look forward to one day being a pass along to someone else? Maybe it's maybe it's money. Maybe there are things that you're looking to store up to be able to bless your children or grandchildren with or friends with. Right. But beyond money, what are the things that you value? You know, for the first time since I've lived here, uh, this Bible left my house. Um. Another way to kind of ask this question of what you value is what would you grab, run and grab if you just found out that your house was on fire and you were going to run out, right? Uh, this would be what, this would be the top of my list. This is my great grandmother's Bible. And I sat down with my grandmother who I really had a really close relationship with one morning at breakfast, just the two of us. And she began to tell me a story. Uh, my great grandmother's name was Effie Anthony. Frank and Effie Anthony, and uh, and she was a saint. She had nine children. Um, you can you can just imagine the number of uh, grandchildren and great grandchildren that exist in that Anthony clan now. But she was a saint. She was a godly woman. She was a woman of prayer. And this morning at, bre- at this breakfast, my grandmother, my, my great grandmother, had passed years years ago, and my grandmother, who is now passed, was telling me the story. She said she was this woman of prayer. It was probably around 1930, early 30s, late 20s when this story took place. But she um, she lived in El Dorado, Arkansas. Um, and I guess I think that there was this essentially this plague. I think it might have been scarlet fever was kind of sweeping through the area. And people and specifically children, um, families were losing children just left and right. Uh, she had many friends that had lost kids and, and she had a son that came down with um with this fever and she went into her room and it's like there was a crowd of people. The doctor had come and, and tried to give him some medicine or something. But you know, they're hearing story after story of families that are losing children. Um, everyone was gathered in the home. My grandmother said, and then, uh, my great grandmother, Effie Anthony went into her bedroom and began to pray. And the house fell silent as she had the door closed and was wailing at the top of her lungs Praying in tongues, interceding for the son for God to move and spare his life. And my grandmother said, you could, there's just the, the, the presence of God was so thick on the house, you could just touch it. No, nobody dared say a word as they just listened to her scream out, praying, crying out for God to come. And then all of a sudden, my grandmother said, maybe it was an hour. An hour later, all of a sudden, it stopped. And everybody started looking at each other. And she walked out of the room. She said, he's going to be okay. Ten days later, he was out running around with all the other kids. Any wonder why I asked my grandmother, when it's all said and done, would you leave me her Bible? And she gave it to me that day. And it's the first thing I would grab. We have to be able to recognize what do we value in this life and what should we be valuing in this life. Look, I don't get to take that Bible with me. I do get to, val- I get, I do get to take the value of coming from a family of faith and desiring for the inheritance that I one day leave. Be stories like my great-grandmother. Maybe in double portion. So 
as a remembrance, I value this Bible as the first thing I would grab. We have to recognize the things that we are valuing, the things that we do hold dear, and, and discover the inheritance that is available for us in the kingdom. You see, inheritance, as we look at in this passage, when Paul is saying, I pray that your eyes would be open to the inheritance of the saints, of his inheritance for the saints in verse 18. Now, there's a key word in there. When we think of inheritance, or typically when I thought of inheritance before studying this text, I thought about the inheritance that I received. And that's covered earlier in the chapter, back around verse 13, 14. This is not talking about the inheritance that we receive, the people of God. This is an inheritance that who receives? It says his inheritance. So who is that that's receiving it? God the Father. One day, we, God's people... Will give God an inheritance. Now, this is the God of all creation, and we see in this in these later verses, everything is under His authority, right? So, what in the world does God have? It's like imagine giving Bill Gates a Christmas present. Like, what are you going to give Bill Gates that's valuable, right? And you know, here's a guy that could buy himself anything or probably has everything. What can you give Bill Gates if you're trying to be a good friend of Bill Gates that's going to get his attention and say, "Wow." Thank you, Deborah, for that gift. That just changes my whole Christmas, right? And, and I, I, if Bill were here today, there's a part of me that would say, if I, if I walked down and handed Bill Effie's Bible, it might mean something to him, having just heard that story. You see, as we look at this inheritance, there's this inheritance that we give the wealthiest living being there ever was, that we're going to be able to bring to God something he does not have. And what is that thing? You see, this is the inheritance in the saints that one day at our coronation ceremony in heaven, this amazing thing is going to take place. And it's going to be, I imagine it's like this treasure chest. Like how many people like Love the thought of finding a treasure chest full of gold and jewels and and values, right? I mean, you know, there are people that are running all over the place looking for this chest buried out west somewhere somewhere that this wealthy man buried and 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 wrote a poem and a riddle for people to go try to find it, right? There are people just hunting night and day trying to find that 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 chest. Imagine that there is this chest that one day we're going to bring to the the king of all eternity and we're going to open up and it is full of an inheritance that we, the saints, have have put coins in. And and what are these coins potentially? This is me just kind of elaborating on this text to see what is the application of one day I'm going to bring the Lord an inheritance. I'm going to bring the God who has everything, something he does not have. And that is me My life, my character, the power of his gospel changing and transforming my life to where it looks more and more like him every day. And every choice that I make and everything that I do in every instance, in every circumstance, in every opportunity, I am choosing to say I choose to place a coin in this treasure chest for you one day that it is opened up and there's a character that is transformed and a life that has been fully redeemed and is living for your glory and for your satisfaction and for your inheritance that the person that I love most looks at and says, you couldn't have given me anything greater. That And I'm doing this because of this motivation that is within my heart because it's not about one day I want to be patted on the back and God say, oh yeah, good job. 
good and faithful servant is that because of this love that I have for this man who gave his only son and died and is resurrected and now stands before me. One day I want to just be able to say thank you so much for all that you have done for me. So open up my chest. And here's this choice of this moment when I chose to bless that person I could cuss. And here's this moment where I chose to let that person in in the traffic line. And here's that little moment when I chose to to care for somebody else and want them to have something that I had instead of me have it because it had more value to be something in this box than for me to hold on to it. You see, the kingdom of God is about his inheritance. And where we do not have eyes to see, we are being robbed by the enemy to think that the things that we should value in this life are going to be the things like this Bible that are going to pass away. But the value behind this Bible is the intent that we should be living toward. Where is this a reality in our life? Because you see, as we look at this text, this is so good. As we look at this text, that you would understand and know the hope to which you have been called. You see, there cannot be a bad day in the kingdom of God when we are choosing every, making every choice about it being an inheritance for him. That this is one of those gold deposits that I get to make in this moment. Today may just be a silver little thing. It might seem like a penny, but it is worth something in the kingdom. And so I make this choice or I resist that sin or I choose to give up something selfishly and be generous to others. or I choose to embrace community rather than try to live an individual Christian life. I choose to lay myself down on an altar as a living sacrifice and let that be my spiritual act of worship to be holy and pleasing to God. What are the things that you hold valuable? What inheritance Are you looking and finding hope in? Because where we let this, where we let this become the hope to which we have been called, be the true north, be the calibrated compass, be the carrot before us, be the rabbit that we chase, then the kingdom of God is at hand. His power is here. Waiting to be on display, but it's not about the display, it's about the transformation, it's about the resurrection. The resurrection of dead spirits being able to come alive in Christ and live their life for his glory. You see, as we look at this reality of of inheritance, you know, which is which is the more noble thing to to have and to store up and to to gain wealth, to spend on ourselves or to be able to to pass that along to. To children and grandchildren, right? Which is the which is the normal, more noble act? And and if that's the more noble act with finances, what does it mean for all the other things that we value? Do you have a plan? Have you written a letter to those that you love most to bless them, to tell them what you think of them, to to, to be able to speak words of truth and and life into their lives? You see, we as a people of God have to understand what we're valuing and have our values be transformed by the power of God to be what is valuable. And this is what Paul is praying. As we continue moving backwards in the text, he says, I keep asking God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father. He may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that so your eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You see, Paul, when he's praying for these people, is not praying about a circumstance that they're going through. 
he's praying that something so much greater than their circumstances, than their prayer list of what they're praying for, for God to come and do. He's praying that there is a transformation that takes place in their eye, in their lives, that they were blind and now they can suddenly see. And there is life that comes in being able to see these two things. So that you might be able to join with me in, in, in better grasping this, this reality. I have a little one minute video clip we're going to watch. So. If you play that, let's just, uh, this is a woman who is deaf, who has suddenly just gone through a surgery and can suddenly hear for the first time, and you're getting, getting to witness it. There you go. It's beeping. So now technically your device is on. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Oh, it's exciting. Here, you can put it down for a second. Just get used to the sound. <laughs> what does it sound like? <laughs> oh, you're messed up, guy. <laughs> can you hear me? Can you hear your voice? Does your voice sound pretty loud? Um... No, not really. What's going on? <laughs> My laughter sounds loud. Yeah, you'll get used to all of that over time. <laughs> Do you want to hear your husband say something? tragic is it that we could sit through this much of this sermon with a dry eye? How much more powerful is the revelation of this prayer being true and real in our lives than this moment for this woman who could not hear? For Paul, he is praying. No, you don't understand. He is praying You can't see. And so I cry out to the Father in heaven that you might be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation to be able to know the God and to be able to understand the hope in which you have been called, to be able to understand the inheritance, his inheritance that one day we bring to him. And this power, this incomparably great power that is available to to the saints and all who believe, <coughs> we have to recognize this same hope. Paul's not praying for himself. He's not praying over certain circumstances. He's praying for the greatest gift that could be given is the reality of the transformation that comes when we're able to see and hear And know and understand the goodness of our Father and this inheritance that one day we get to bring. This treasure chest. One day, we've been living our entire lives to say, this is what I bring you. And this treasure chest that says, in my kingdom, there is authority and power ready to be on display 
Because my kingdom has come and my will can be done. Lives can be changed and transformed before your very eyes. What are you and I living for? How content are we in our blindness? What is this hope that we have been called to? This is what we get to wrestle with. This is what we get to wake up in the morning and and, and take our next breath with excitement. Because you see, when you're searching for treasure, you know, think about the gold miners, the, you know, the 49ers, right? When you're searching for treasure and then suddenly you find it, like, what, what happens next? Like, you're like, oh, that's good. All right, let me keep searching, right? Set it aside and you keep searching. Then here's a gold nugget. Okay, that's good. I'm just going to set it aside. I'm going to keep searching, all right? I just, I just walked from New York to, to San Francisco, wherever they found gold in, in California, and, and here I am, and I've dug up, and I found a, piece, a nugget, a gold, and here it is in my hands. Like, what happens next? It's the, I mean, Harvest and I didn't even talk about it. It's the, woohoo! oh my gosh, eureka, right? That's what that term means. Like, oh my gosh, I've discovered this thing that I've been searching for. And where is that not the reality in our lives as we embrace this text? As we embrace, embrace each day, each day is a gold mine. It is a, it is a field of, of priceless pearls waiting for us to go and purchase. As we have this lens and perspective of the kingdom of God, it is this opportunity to say, Woohoo, I get to die to myself today and put that in the, in the plate, in this, in this treasure chest, and know that that is the thing that is giving me this great joy. Because as long as we're looking for the joy in this life of what it means for us, friends, we are just putting away wooden coins. But these coins that are available that last for eternity are what Paul is saying that if your eyes can be open to see this, everything will change. And this is my prayer for us. And this is what I've been wrestling with since May. Lord, every day. How many, gold, how many, how many wooden coins did I choose today? God, thank you for this opportunity that you're putting that as a lens before me. And an invitation to see something more, to see something greater. Because that's what Jesus came to give. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you gave your life to lead us to this treasure, this hope that is to be found in you. Lord, what is, this, what is this power that's available to us in the kingdom? What, what, is, what do you desire for your will to be done in our lives today? Where the enemy has continued to come and steal, kill, and destroy and, and lead us to those wooden nickels, Lord, I, I pray that you, uh, you would open our eyes, that you would motivate us with a heart that, that says one day, one day, I'm storing up one day, one day there's going to be this, this coronation banquet. And one day as I'm standing there as this bride, you know, ready to marry my groom and the father comes out, the king, and, and he stands before me and I get to bring my dowry before him. This dowry of, of choices, this dowry of a transformed character, this dowry of, of the blood of Jesus Christ being applied to every area of my every area of my life, every sin, every crook, every every cranny, every closet, every little thing, Lord. Here it is. I open up this dowry before you and let it to praise. Let 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 this woo happen, Lord, because 
One day that's going to get to happen. And I want to live my life for that to be the most celebrated thing I could experience in, in all of eternity. That one day I got to contribute just one little thing, just one little, one little chest uh, among all the millions of chests that stand there. But just one little moment. There's this, whoa, keep going. Don't stop it. Second, I want like you can make it the third in the choices that you're making and the things that he believes in because he is a good father and he loves us. And he called us to so much more than what this life has offered. Where the gospel of Jesus Christ is not changing my life, Lord. Let the treasure be seen before me. Let the opportunity of hope come and fill my sails. Let the power of God come and redeem. Resurrect that which is dead to become to life. But not just in me, Lord. In your people. In the body, your church, in this world, that, that, that the people of the world will not look at the church and say, oh, no. But they look at the transformed beings as the crippled, crippled, blind, deaf people that they are and say, I've got to go get some of this gospel. I want to be able to see. I want to be healed. I want to see a transformation like this person. More. More of your kingdom. Your will be done in our lives. Harvest is going to lead us in a time of response. My right and left, there are offering baskets if you've prepared to, to give this morning. On my right, your left is, uh, is communion. For you to take in remembrance of all that God has done for you. But with everything in me, I have a hope for you and for me that we will walk out that door valuing above everything else the opportunities that are available to us the rest of the day and the rest of our breaths. And that we would be able to see those coins, those choices, those opportunities, and the power of God as he wants to change our lives and change the lives of those around us. No longer living for the wooden nickels because they're just not worth anything anymore. What is your response? What is your heart as the Lord is inviting his gospel to come and bring an ongoing change?